0: For over 50 years, vibraphonist Gary Burton has demonstrated a certain knack for picking great guitarists for his quartets, including Larry Coryell, Mick Goodrick, Pat Metheny, and more recently, the young guitarist Julian Lodge, who appears on Burton's 2011 album Common Ground. Welcome to Jazz Stories. I'm David Gorin. In September 2011, as part of Jazz at Lincoln Center's Listening Party series, Burton and Lodge sat down with Ken Drucker to talk about their mutual chamber-style approach to playing jazz and the roots of jazz fusion.
1: I wanted to start, there's a similarity, I hear a similarity, that both of these groups and albums have, for want of a better word, a chamber feel to them, that of a chamber ensemble. Is that something you were looking for and why is it something you're looking for in a group?
2: Well, I've always modeled my groups on that concept to a great extent. Uh, From the very beginning, my role model was the string quartet, the classical instrumentation, where all the instruments play a fairly equal role, rather than a band where there's a leader and a group of accompanists that play behind the leader. So I've always looked for a lot of participation from all the band members, all the rhythm section people, the composing and performing. And whether that some of that rubbed off on Julian <laughs> over the last ten years that we've been playing together, I don't know.
3: I absolutely absolutely. My band is um it's guitar, cello, tenor sax, bass and percussion. It almost is a string chord. It almost <laughs> is. We're, we're b- halfway there. And um yeah, you know, I grew up playing with Gary since I was probably twelve or thirteen years old, so I kinda modeled off of that equal participation model that we were talking about and and then from a timbral point of view, having the cello and the tenor, to me that, you know, it's kind of like having viola and cello and the guitar is like a violin at times, so absolutely.
2: Your music is also very programmatic very is the, the programmatic. musical term that we use, meaning each piece is almost a portrait a picture yeah. of of something that you have in mind and so your music tends to you know tell stories yeah. very much uh, as opposed to being a band that everybody's so- taking hot solos
3: exactly uh, <laughs> it's very deliberate these yeah. little vignettes that kind of paint a, a picture
1: Well, and and Gladwell, I mean, the the idea behind the album is very much, uh, it has very much to do with that, if you want to tell us a little bit about the album.
3: Sure, yeah. Gladwell is about an imaginary town, and the whole concept was to make a record where we basically kind of uncovered this forgotten place that existed, like, God knows when, but a long time ago. And it was our job to sonically walk you through this town. You know, so there's a center where people, you know, the sacred center of the town, there's like a bar where people get in fights. There's, uh, <laughs> there's you know, uh, kind of like the nature part of it. And we, we we were there in the recording studio with a big map that we drew oh, on a whiteboard. Big? And we were just like, now we're there, now we're here. We need more trees. So, yeah, that's how I look at See, it. See, at the beginning, I thought it was about Malcolm. <laughs> it, <laughs> so. could, it could be. He's deep.
1: Now, Obviously, you have a wonderful guitarist in this new Mm -hmm. quartet, but over the years, you have hired and been associated with many great guitarists in many different styles. Mm. Is it an affinity for the guitar in and of itself, or is it the sound you get with the vibraphone that's
2: particularly appealing? It's the
1: sound. I have a great
2: affinity for other players. I play with piano players as well, with Chick (coughs) Corea for 40 years now but there's a sound thing that happens with vibes and guitar. They're a little bit similar, they're both mellow sounding instruments, and they can either play independently of each other and sound different, or if you play in unison, they kind of blend together into a new sound that's like a new instrument, the guitar vibe. (laughs) And it has a nice, full sound to it. So, orchestrationally, it works very well for a small group to have this uh, range of variables that are so complementary. It wasn't my idea to play with guitar. The first group I got into uh, as I was starting out age 17 and my first real break was with a guitar player in Nashville and he had the idea to, that he wanted to play with vibes and it found me. That introduced me to it and when I formed my own band a few years later, I came back to it. And I've, through the years I've used it a lot and I've been really lucky to Find probably 80 percent of the best guitar players in the jazz world. <laughs> I, I think people would be
1: interested to know who some of those guitar players are. They've oh, heard of okay. Them, well, of them. people that started in
2: my band were Larry Coryell, John Schofield, Pat Metheny, Mick Goodrick, Kurt Rosenwinkel, a couple others that you wouldn't be so familiar with, and then recently Julian. Hmm. So it's it's uh, an impressive lineup hmm, to, to say at least. Of, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Julian. It sounds like the vibe guitar sound. You went on this album, you went for a similar sound that you mentioned
3: uh, with cello and and saxophone. Yeah, I kind of, we call it the cellophone. (laughs) We have this (laughs) hybrid instrument where, you know, you have the kind of warmth of the brass, the tenor sound, and you have the stringy kind of attack of the cello, and that creates this thing. It's funny, in my band, the guitar is probably, the outcast—that's the one thing I haven't quite solved with my band. <laughs> you're it's the a, one player I'm, they could do without. Exactly, they could—they could be fine without me. Um, but it is—it is interesting because you can write well for all these instruments: bass, percussion, sax, and cello. But guitar is—it kind of can do everything, and so you have to decide what you want it for. So it's—it's it's a little bit of a struggle.
1: Well, sure. and, it, I find listening to these albums and just knowing you're playing, mm-hmm. um, uh, many people will hire a band as a backup to them. Mm-hmm. Um, in this group in particular, and Gary I find this with this recording and, and with your playing in general, you're part of the group. Yeah. It's not there to feature you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say something too, you, you'd
2: often expect somebody making their first record or two to do the traditional thing is you go out and hire the <laughs> most named players you can find mm-hmm. to lend you know weight and substance to your project and then you have them accompany you and introduce your music and uh, Julian uh, kind of went of uh, you know a more daring route of actually putting together a group of unknowns Mm -hmm. and uh, music that was not traditional jazz that featured him as the hot soloist sort of thing Mm -hmm. and uh, has introduced himself to the world as a real creator as opposed to just a great player.
1: Right. And for, in fact, that first, for
3: what it's worth, that first album was nominated for a Grammy Award. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, was, so people yeah. received it well. That was my final from <laughs> Berkeley. I was going to school, <laughs> and I made a deal with the, with the president. I said, as a final project to graduate, I'll make a record. And that was it. So huh. it worked out.
1: These days, again, the music business has changed itself. It used to be you would record an album, you would go out and tour that album, and this was the cycle of the music business. Is that still the way things, I mean, you are on tour, um, but is that, the album still serve that same purpose, or is the rhythm of the career changed? Well, I do it differently,
2: in that uh, as, as often as possible, I tour first and then come back and record. I've always done that with with the records I've made with Chick Corea over these years. Uh, There's six or seven of them, and we always tour for a couple of months at least to uh, let the music grow and settle some, and then we record, and then we tour some more once it comes out again, and that's what we did with this group. Uh, I think it produces a better result musically. It's not always possible. Sometimes it's a project that's so, uh, unique that you don't even expect to tour with it, mm. because it's a bunch of star performers who wouldn't have the time to get together anyway, and you're lucky to just make the record. Uh, and and I do those kind of things occasionally as well. But mm. if I had my preference, it would be, you know, to give the music a chance to be shaped in front of the audiences. There's, a f- there's an interesting thing that happens. You prepare a piece, you rehearse it. Sounds perfect. The arrangement's just right, and you go out and play it on the first night, and immediately you hear the parts that aren't working. Mm-hmm. Well, this is too short. The ending is too long. the The opening part needs to start sooner, and the you know, and mm-hmm. things that you didn't notice at all when you without an audience there. There's some kind of subtle feedback that happens that your brain picks up on mm-hmm. uh, when, when you play the music in front of the crowd and suddenly little bits and pieces need to be altered mm-hmm. to get the, the ideal arrangement and so on. And I don't know what that magic is that occurs but it's been going on my whole career <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, every musician I know will well, It's almost like say another this. member of the band that was missing when you were rehearsing. Well it's like you know you it's like trying to have a conversation by yourself mm-hmm. when you're just playing alone and even one of the challenges with recording is how to uh, include the audience semblance of an audience when you're playing in the mm-hmm. studio with your headphones on and the Booth around you, and you're looking through three panes of glass to see the drummer, and so on. And I constantly picture people in their living rooms in front of the record player, or they don't call them that anymore, <laughs> in, in front of the hi-fi system, or uh, riding around in the car listening to it. If I don't picture someone listening to it, then I don't get a sense of of you know sh- what the shape of it is or how people are reacting to it. I have to imagine that they're there even
1: if they're not. Hmm. For both of you, Gary you play with a lot of younger musicians and, and Julian you are a younger musician you're, mm-hmm. and you're teaching. Uh, musicians now have access to so much music of all different types. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're Even if they're fans of jazz or if they're studying jazz they can listen to anything, at the click of a button. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find do you hear that coming out in their playing? That just all more influences, and it's infusing their playing.
3: Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've and and I've heard that in Gary's bands. I mean, since Duster and early mm-hmm. albums. I mean, it's always been about fusion in the, in the absolute best sense of the word.
2: do have a theory that musicians go, jazz music, improvisers, mm. go in one of two paths. They either choose one style and tradition to follow and they stay with it, and that's and they do it wonderfully and we love them, we love their playing and so on, but they don't venture outside it. Mm. And then the other path is you're kind of a, a an explorer. Yeah. You're always visiting other musical lands as you hear. as an improviser, if you hear something and feel you relate to it, you can usually play with it. Uh, Classical musician can't do that. You know, it has to be written out for them or they, they don't know where to start. Uh, So, for jazz musicians, we're singularly equipped to experiment, and for me, I've ventured into tango music with Astor Piazzolla over the years, I've done classical projects, I've done many kinds of jazz and so on, and the, the concept of my first band was to break out of what I thought was kind of a box that jazz was in. Everything was in syncopated time and everything followed the kind of harmonies that were popularized with Broadway shows, and we couldn't seem to do anything else. So I wanted my first band to take elements from classical music, from pop music, from country music, Mm -hmm. and bring them into this jazz band, which was, at the time, uh, pretty radical. And for the first two years, I got a lot of criticism about it, and then um, a lot of other musicians started doing it too. Mm-hmm. And then I you know, uh, was sort of indicated.
1: Which album, which was the first the album? Duster.
2: Or? Duster. I just start, left Stan Getz and started my first band. And, and I said, I wanna do something uh, to change my audience. I've been playing with George Shearing and then with Stan Getz for some years. <coughs> and I looked out at the people. I was t- 22, 23 years old. They were all 40 and 50 mm-hmm. years old. I said, well, if this is my audience, by the time I'm at my peak, they're gonna be in the rest home. <laughs> so I, I wanna play for people who are in their 20s, like me. Yeah. And, uh, and I sensed that traditional jazz was not gonna be the path to do that with. And, um, and I had become a huge rock fan I was 20-something myself, and the Beatles arrived, and I was really impressed by, you know, what sophistication they had brought to this music that used to only have three chords. And I love their eclectic approach. You'd, yeah. you'd listen to a Beatles record, and one piece would be with a string quartet, and the next one would have an Indian sitar, and then there mm-hmm. would be some kind of uh, shuffle piece, and jazz records were never like that. They were always the same kind of thing through the whole album. So I, I thought, oh, I'd love to have that kind of freedom. And
1: well, and a lot of people look at Duster as one of the first, if not the first, jazz fusion albums. Yeah. It's true, and, and in, I... It's 1967?
2: 67, and I believe it was the first. And um, I sometimes get credited <laughs> for being the first to do it. And uh, I, a few things I'm proud that I brought about four playing on my instrument and uh, introducing this more expansive approach to uh, what the improvising group can do
0: that was vibraphonist Gary Burton in conversation with guitarist Julian Lodge and Jazz at Lincoln Center's Ken Drucker Jazz Stories is produced at Murray Street by myself David Gorin Alexa Lim and Steve Rapp with support from Jazz at Lincoln Center. You can hear more jazz stories at JALC.org.